This podcast is brought to you by A Copy Match. A Copy Match is a boutique matchmaking service that helps exceptional singles find meaningful connections and relationships. To learn more about our matchmaking services, online dating makeovers and takeovers, or to enroll in an upcoming group coaching intensive, go to agapimatch.com. Welcome to the Ask a Matchmaker podcast. I'm your host, Matchmaker Maria. For over a decade, I have combined four generations of family matchmaking tradition with modern relationship psychology, behavioral science, and dating trends. With this unique expertise, I answer your dating and relationship questions on the podcast and online. If you're not already following me, you can find me on Instagram. I'm at Matchmaker Maria. And while you're at it, follow the podcast too at Ask a Matchmaker. This week's guest is author Mimi Winsberg. Mimi Winsberg is a Stanford-trained psychiatrist with 25 years of clinical experience. She is a co-founder of the telehealth startup Brightside and has been on-site psychiatrist at the Facebook Wellness Center. Winsberg appears regularly on Good Morning America and her work has been featured in GQ, Glamour, Fast Company, Bloomberg, Business Week, and Business Insider. She has a bachelor's in neuroscience from Harvard College and Speaking in Thumbs is her first book. Mimi, welcome to the Ask a Matchmaker podcast. Thanks so much for having me. It's great to be here. Okay, first book. Uh, congratulations. That is amazing. How long did this take you to write? You know, I think the pandemic helped me write it really quickly. So <laughs> it took about nine months to write. It was like birthing it, a baby. <laughs> it, it was like birthing a baby. I love that. I love that. It was definitely, you know, I think I asked that because it's like so much of your book speaks to today, right? This is not a book that makes sense if someone read it 30 years ago. I mean, I guess what, what does, what of nonfiction does when you look at things that are being talked about currently, but I even think your book will be studied 20 years from now. Like it'll be cited in someone's PhD thesis about how, how generation alpha doesn't know yeah. how to date because they're so consumed. So you make a good point, which is that you know, texting is a novel language. We, yeah. we started texting in 2007, which is, you know, it's a while ago, but really not that long in the grand scheme of things in terms of learning how to speak a language and what we can learn from that language. And I think our brains are still catching up. Now it's the predominant means in which we communicate, particularly in our romantic relationships. It's how we get to know people on online dating sites. We usually have a pretty long text exchange before we meet them in person. And also, um, you know, we develop our courtship over text too. I, I, I joke in the book that it used to be the, the package of, of flower food that was attached to the, to the flowers. Now it's the whole bouquet. It's, it's how we court, it's how we seduce people. It's a big part of the way we start relationships. Absolutely. So for those of you that don't know, the book Speaking in Thumbs is the book about the love language of texts and helping you decipher the personalities of online daters and the signals that are coming from romantic partners and the red flags that we're just not seeing, maybe because some of us wear rose-colored glasses, so it's even hard then. Um, where did the motivation, like, are you a dater? Were you seeing this or were you seeing this? Because I know you worked in wellness for Facebook. Do you Did you start to witness that this was permeating your job in a professional level or was there a personal aspect to this too? So it's interesting. It was a confluence of two factors. I, um, I did, uh, as you say, work as the on-site psychiatrist at Facebook. And even though 
I was treating, you know, the digerati there, the people who know how you tick. In the course of a session, I would often get handed a phone and say, what does this text mean? How should I respond to this? What do you think, what do you think he really means by this? And so um, that was interesting. You know, that was sort of a big part of my job. But then right before I took the job, I also found that I was single because my husband and I had decided to separate. And so I myself was on online dating sites. And I would joke that I could make a psychiatric diagnosis in less than 20 texts on a dating site. What? I kind of made a game of it, you know, of texting with people and then going to meet them. But the truth is, it's not just a hobby. In some ways, it had become a career because I've also done a lot of work in digital health. As you said, I co-founded uh, the company called Brightside. And we use a lot, of, um, a lot of cues, such as words that are in messages, to understand, is somebody depressed? Or how can we select the right treatment for them? And so this, all of the knowledge that I had acquired as a psychiatrist could get applied in this world of dating. And I thought, well, there's got to be a book in this. And there's so much to learn and so much to teach. You know, how can we decide if somebody's right for us when we're texting with them over on an, on, on an online dating site? And can we determine, you know, what is somebody's personality or even their attachment style? The truth is, once we start making out with somebody, we kind of lose all objectivity. So. There's this moment as you're texting somebody at the beginning of a relationship when maybe you can actually see who they really are before you go too far down the rabbit hole. Okay, so let's talk about this. So are you talking, when you say communicate, like have they already met on a first date or is this communication with a stranger? So I take people all the way through the cycle of a relationship from texting with strangers to, you know, first meeting to the courtship process to really establishing trust and empathy and all kinds of other things that we establish as we commit to each other right through to breakup. And I think that's what's um, you know really interesting is that people are having these very serious conversations over text now. They're deepening their relationships over text and they're breaking up over text. And you know one of the things I argue is that we can use our prior text exchanges with somebody as the electronic medical the electronic medical record of our relationship. So we can go back and see where were the inflection points? Where did things go wrong? Where did things go right? How do we know when the relationship is getting more committed? Or how might we know when somebody's pulling away? So one of the interesting aspects in your book is that you actually use, it seems like real life examples. You're, you have screenshots riddled throughout the book. Um, which, you know, which while, while that's fun, it's also triggering, I think for people, because you can, these could be anyone's texts. These could be the, you know, the, some of them feel like things that I've seen, uh, personally and professionally. And you're like, oh, this, this is what that meant. Oh, that's okay. <laughs> yeah. I say, I say that these are the texts that, you know, you're going to want to have and that you have had, um, we, we look at texts, I put my own texts in there. And so that's kind of interesting too, as I let you sort of look over my shoulder at my, my phone and see how I'm texting and what techniques I'm using. And then I co I've collected texts from a number of sources and I try to be sort of representative across age and gender and so forth. And we look at real text exchanges and what people are doing right, what people are doing wrong, what we can learn from it. So what do people, I have so many questions now and they're all kind of like trying to get in the right order now, but what do people do wrong when they're texting? Like, let's start off with 
people that are strangers, right? People who met online. Because right. I feel like, even as a matchmaker, so I feel like sometimes matchmaking, as a matchmaker, is kind of like if you met someone through a friend, right? There's a middleman, there's an accountability, there's less chance of ghosting, whatever that word is currently defined as anyway, because there's like a bit of accountability, right? You're, and then on, you know, an online world, there is a place where someone could just drop off the face of the planet and you never hear from them again. And that is a risk that everyone takes being online. I know the, the, the listeners can't see it, but Mimi is nodding. <laughs> so, um, so with that said, like, what do you think people do wrong when they are texting or messaging a stranger that they met online? Well, I think the first thing people can do wrong is not take advantage of an opportunity. This, this initial text exchange or these initial text exchange, this is kind of like the job interview, right? This is, is this person worth meeting? Do you want to waste time going on a date with this person? And mm -hmm. I think people miss opportunities. They ask questions like, how's your day going? How was your weekend? Instead of really getting to the heart of who is this person? What are they going to be like to interact with? And so I give people tools how to really elicit the right information, the information that you need to know to decide, is this person worth my time? Can you give us one tip right now? I can. So one technique that we use as therapists or as a psychiatrist is to mirror. So when you are talking to somebody, and you'll do this naturally if you're chatting with somebody at a bar, you'll kind of mirror their body language, pick up on cues. We can do this over text too. You can mirror what somebody's saying. And by doing that, you let them be more of themselves. You get them to reveal their true selves over the text and sort of notice things about their, their personalities. I also give people tools to break down things like big five personality traits and even attachment style from a person's text message. So things like word choice or what emojis they're using or even what kind of punctuation they use says a lot about a person. And um, it be can be kind of fun to learn some of these techniques so that you can tell who you're talking to. I talk so, about personality, um, the big five personality traits. I, I don't know if people are familiar with that, but you know, we, 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 we use the big five personality to, as a, as a kind of standard measure of, of personality traits that are, that, that stay present over the course of a person's lifetime. Are you extroverted or are you introverted? Are you conscientious or less so? Do you, are you open to adventure and like new experiences? Are you kind of more conservative and play it safe kind of person? And then how neurotic are you? And how agreeable are you? How much do you like to get along with people? So what I do in the book is I take people through those big five personality traits and say, here, here are the kind of word choice and punctuation and emojis that people who are extroverted are gonna use or people who are agreeable are gonna use. For instance, people who are agreeable like to use hearts in all of their different forms, heart emojis in all their different forms. Whereas extroverts use emojis a whole lot less than introverts. And um, using um, guides like this can help you really understand both who you're talking to and think about how do you want to present yourself too when you're talking to a stranger. Right, yeah. It's funny, um, like I'm thinking back to when I first met my husband and like our initial text message exchange, like post going out on dates. He told me that my husband's introverted I don't know if he's shy. I wouldn't say that he's shy, but he's definitely more intro. He's introverted. I'm, I'm, the, I'm the world's biggest extrovert. Um, but it's not that he's shy. He's just, he's very respectful. And I think he was also really nervous. 
And he was trying to find, like, any reason to text me, but he also didn't want to, like, look like a loser or I don't know what he was thinking. But so he called the person that introduced us and was like, do you want to go shopping? Because his idea was, like, if we take her shopping, she'll try on some dresses. I'll take photos of her and then message Maria photos of her in these dresses asking Maria, what's your opinion <laughs> on these dresses? And I'm just like. Like, you know, six months later, he told me that that was his plan. And I was yeah. just like, you're an insane person. Like, you could have just said, hey. And he's like, I can't just say, hey, I'm scared. Like, I was like, okay. Like, but and yet at the same time, what a thoughtful thing. You know, he's putting a lot of thought into how to, how to court you and how to make an impact, really. You know, and so I think that's really an important thing that you're talking about, that different people have different ways of expressing themselves. Yeah. And it's, you know... Part of what I teach people is how to look for red flags, but really we all need to find what's right for us. And it's worth doing a little reflection about what kind of person you really want in your life. You know, do you want, your husband sounds really conscientious, you know, like he's gonna go that extra mile to do things the right way. And um, that can be a great trait in a partner. It's actually predictive of long-term happiness. It also means that he's not the planner in the relationship. So I'm the one that always plans the vacations, plans the dates. He only plans my birthday once a year. That's it. Because if it were up, to, nothing will ever get done. You know, like he's so conscientious that like we'll never make a decision. He'll second guess himself. You know, so it's like, you know, knowing that now and, you know, especially as a professional, you tend to see things a little bit, you know, you know this, you tend to see things in a different lens. It was like. Okay, this is nice because for me personally, as someone who's, you know, very assertive, I make decisions very quickly and I don't necessarily go with my gut. I go with my contingency plan. Like, okay, if this happens, then we have to do this. Like, I think very much in like if and then, and I think quicker. Like, I think quicker. I make a decision quicker and my husband sure. does not. So if we, if yeah. I was with someone like me, make a decision right now, we would be in a whole financial mess. We would be struggling. We would be resentful. Like there would be so many other things. And I think, I think what your book is speaking to is to the balance. Like how do you find balance? Not only looking for someone who is emotionally available, because you also talk about attachment. I would love to talk about that next. But you talk about attachment styles through text, but it's also about finding the person that's meant to be at least temperamentally, um, your, compatible. your part compatible. Yeah. Yeah. Compatible. Yeah, I know you, you bring up a couple of great points that it's very much about finding, you know, the person with the right chemistry and compatibility for you. But I think what you also bring up that's really interesting is a lot of times once we're involved with somebody, we can go back and we learn things about them. Like you learn these things about your husband that you now know to be true and they've stayed as enduring traits about him throughout your marriage. But you can probably go back to your very first text messages with him or exchanges with him. And see evidence of those traits right there, really objectively. Right. And I'd be able to see it too. And so that's what I sort of teach people to do is like, look at that early on before you've gotten involved. Once, you know, once we start making out with somebody, we lose all objectivity, right? And so really I think do. that, and so I think that like seeing that right in the beginning is really interesting and in that you can go back and see evidence of that in your earliest communication and say, oh yeah, that, that was there. And that's always going to be there. How um, do you, to, you know, we met, I mentioned before attachment styles. How do you determine, is there some life hack to determine if someone's like an avoidant attachment style via text in your opinion or in your professional I, experience? I do think there are clues. Yeah. And, and I talk about that, um, 
in one chapter of the book where you know we can we can elicit that information even as we're texting with strangers there are certain red flags that you might see that would indicate a less secure attachment style i'll give you a couple of examples um, i mean this is a word i made up but i talk about instimacy instant intimacy and when you see somebody practicing intimacy early on in a text exchange you know sort of acting like wow we already know each other even though we haven't met yet um, that can be a little bit of a warning sign that maybe they're not so securely attached it could mean that they're like a little needy and that they're going to be anxious or it could even mean that they're going to be avoidant down the road and you know going all in too fast too soon and then disappearing later on because they can't sustain that so I think of intimacy as a little bit of a a red flag you know I think people need to um, take it at a reasonable pace you know sexting with somebody before you meet them probably not a good idea yeah. uh, um, at least if you're looking for a, a long-term relationship um, it, it really you know and I look out there's gonna be people who will say stuff like well I sent sexting and we made it and we got married and it's like great you won the lottery that's not the exceptions not the rule here that's right. That's right. I think evidence of um, controlling behavior early on in, in a text exchange, you know, somebody who doesn't say, hey, would you would you want to meet me for a date? But just says, meet me, you know, at, meet me on this day at this time, you know, assuming that you're in that that could be a warning flag, too, of of, of um, you know, more more controlling um, and that that's a less secure attachment style down the road. One of the things I tell people to do is to test your your prospective partner's sense of humor. You know, banter with them and see how they're going to respond when you catch them off guard a little bit. And, uh, you know, I classify humor. Um, well, it's not my classification, but I look at research to classify people's sense of humor. And it turns out people use humor in four different kinds of ways, and that can tell us a lot about who they are. Okay. So the person who's hum using humor in more of a kind of you know, I'm going to use humor to put you down or in sort of a mean-spirited way, that's not going to bode well in the future, where somebody who uses humor to connect with you or to kind of make the best of uh, a bad situation, those tend to be more endearing forms of humor and will bode better. I, I've seen as a matchmaker that sense of humor can tell you so much more about your intellectual compatibility. Absolutely. Because sen sense of humor is like the, the soul of understanding like what moral plane you live on. And, um, you know, uh, your relationship with different environments and, um, and people and ideas. And I'll give you an example really quick, right? It has nothing to do, like, I mean, you could say, like, oh, what TV shows do you watch? And the truth is that the kind of person who thinks Two and a Half Men is hilarious is not the same person who thinks that the nuanced humor of Arrested Development, that's not the same person, right? Mm -hmm. But to go beyond that, one of my most favorite things that people could put online, if they really do believe it is put stand up as one of your interests, like if they have that as an option. Because if I were single right now, I would ask people, tell if do you like stand up, stand up, I love stand up comedy, and I do, right? And then if they said yes, I'd say, well, tell me more which comedians, like which comedians have you watched in the last year that you really enjoyed? And based on who they say there, I'm going to be able to determine, I can even determine how they vote politically. <laughs> I can determine um, how they view women. I can determine how highbrow or lowbrow the comedy is, or what is their range of sense of humor? Like, do you believe that not, there are certain topics we can't make jokes about and there's certain, and, or is everything relative, right? And I think you can determine so much about like the person, like just by knowing what comedy um, they subscribe to, you know, today I actually, 
Um, somebody asked me, they live in, um, they said they live in a state that's full of conservatives and they want to date liberal people. That's fine. You know, I get it when you're, I, I, same with, I, I would say the same advice for people that are conservative that would like to live, um, that, that live in liberal areas with, it's a conservative desert. Like where can I meet people that are in quote unquote my tribe? And what I would say to them is like, go to your local, you know, go to your local comedy clubs website, look up the stand-up schedule, find the comedians that are that reflects your values. Yeah, exactly. And then that's the place. That's the room full of liberals in Kansas. And shout out to Joyelle Nicole, who gave me that idea. She's a comedian. Yep. She's amazing. It's, it's such an interesting <laughs> hack. And I, I think you're absolutely right that humor tackles that sort of part of our brain that connects it's primitive, but it connects a lot of intellectual functioning, you know, and what we respond to from a humor perspective says so much about, about us. And that is also why I encourage people not just to ask, you know, which, which, which kind of comedian do you like? Because I think, um, that's easier to, oh, for people to not necessarily represent what they truthfully think for them to kind of, you know, give you, put their best foot forward or, you know, um, mm -hmm. present themselves in a particular way. But I think when you really test how they banter and what style of humor do they use, you learn a lot about who they are too and what they're going to be like to hang out with. Uh, what's it like to spend a weekend with them versus just asking them questions about what hobbies they like. You know, another thing that I noticed in your book is that, you know, you talk about like the bad messages and for me, like this is now personally and professionally for me, the worst message a man or even a woman can send to another person is, um, I don't deserve you. What is a, or like, you're too good for me or something like in this stance where I now have to spend the next five minutes or 10 minutes or 20 minutes texting you about why you're so amazing to deserve me. And to me, that's like a red flag for narcissism. I, I don't, and I don't know if they are narcissistic to say it, but anyone that anyone could say, I admire you. You don't have to say, what are you doing with me? Just say, I admire you and I respect you. You don't, there's a, there's a positive way to say it. And then there's a way to like, please stroke my ego because I feel insecure around you. Forcing the other person to go down to their level. Yeah. Stroke, stroke, right. stroke, you know? Self-deprecation is an is an interesting phenomena because on the surface it looks um, it looks harmless. Uh, harmless, but it can be a covert form of narcissism. You know, it's not an overt form of narcissism, but it can be a covert form of narcissism because it's a it's a preoccupation with yourself in a way, right? I, I think that I actually get people to look at even particular things in language like the use of um, pronouns. You know, how much do you use I? Is it all I, 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 I? That can say something about a person too, right? You'd like to see a little you in there. <laughs> so um, these, these things are really important as we look at what's called language style matching and how people match their language when they're first talking to each other. I think you bring up another important point too is that, um, well, we can get into like toxic, toxic texting and what are some of the things to sort of avoid once you're into a relationship. But I think we have uh, love languages, you know, lots been, a lot of lip service has been given to Gary Chapman's love languages and relationships. You know, how do you like to express love? How do you like to receive love? Are you an acts of service person? Are you a quality time person? Well, I think we have love languages over text too, where, um, you know, some people like to get compliments over text, whereas other people just like fun banter. I call that riffing, you know, that's my preferred uh, text love language. I like when somebody's just willing to sit down and spend, you know, five to 10 minutes with me talking about nothing because it's, it's, it's a quality time thing. Um, 
some people like to give constant updates through the day. You know, here's what I'm having for lunch. Uh, here's the walk I just took. That, that can be, um, you know, some people like that kind of affirmation through the day. Other people are like, hmm, why are you using me as your personal Facebook page right now? You know, this is tiring. <laughs> so I think we each have our own love language over text, too, and it's important to understand what is this person's, how do they express love, how do they like to receive it over text. I, I have two questions here to follow up to what you just said. So um, the first is, what, what do you say to people who say, who, who tell people, like, you know, I have a client that I'm thinking of right now who, you know, she enjoys texting, but the man that she's dating, he told her like, I don't really enjoy texting, but I can see that it's important to you. And I'll respond to all of your texts at the end of the day, but I am not the kind of person who texts throughout the day. So what do you say to people like who just don't have it in them to, to participate in that form of communication? Yeah, no, I think this is really interesting and it gets into, um, you know, chemistry and compatibility over text because that might or might not translate into in-person compatibility, but it's a different communication style. One study that came out that's really interesting shows that um, you know this, there are gender differences here and that when you're in a relationship, women think that if there's a lot of texting happening, oh, mm -hmm. great sign, everything's going really well, we're texting a lot. Men kind of have the opposite approach. If they're, if they're not a lot of text happening, great, everything's good. <laughs> We're not wow. having to communicate a lot. And so that sets up an inherent problem, right? If women and men are coming to this with different perspectives. I think if you find yourself with somebody who doesn't like texting, it's kind of like finding yourself with somebody who doesn't like talking on the phone or doesn't like watching TV or whatever. You have to decide, is this a deal breaker for you or is this something you can work around? And I think if it is not a deal breaker, you have to respect their their style of communication and that huh. may be something to look out for early on do you guys reply at the same speed you know some people get a text and they just reply instantly and you know as soon as you send it off you're going to see that dot 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 right but other people will sit on it and that that might make some that might make some people anxious to not know you know to sit and not know if they're going to get a reply back Others might be fine with it. He's busy, you know, he's got a job. He's got other things going on. This is not that important. You know, it's, it makes me think sometimes like, I wish people knew what married people text like now. Cause it's like, you, there's so much importance is in the beginning, right? Before you've established what you are. But if you it look is. at my, I'll, I'll tell you the last five text messages between me and my husband are literally um, him sending me a, a Zillow listing for a house, me not replying, just yeah, that's it. Um, I wrote, I wrote, did you, <laughs> my last text message him that I wrote was, did you eat orange from yesterday? And he responded <laughs> two hours later. Yeah. <laughs> so like, so I, I talk about this in the book. And by the way, that was, was on, a... that was on Sunday. It is Wednesday yeah. today. <laughs> right. Right, right. Um, and I talk about this in the book that, we, you know, you can create word clouds of like what words are in, in, in text messages. And there's one data scientist who tracked her word cloud from her first date with her husband through to seven years of marriage. And, you know, at first it's all like love and, you know, all these like romantic words. And then it turns into dinner, now, milk, you know. <laughs> yeah. And so I think... I think that, you know, you're absolutely right that texting evolves as we get closer and certainly start to cohabitate. Oh, yeah, especially if we start be, living together. <laughs> right. But there might be a clue in there, too, and, and I do encourage people about this in the book, is that it, texting offers this opportunity to create a little bit of mystery in your, mar in your marriage or even in your long-term relationship. And, you know, 
it can be a way to send, to continue to send love notes, really, and um, and create create some excitement and mystery and even anticipation that you might not have as you're going through your day to day. And so maybe there's a way to reintroduce some of that early. Uh, intimate, romantic, yeah, flirty right. text exchange later into a relationship. I love that. I, I, I think that's something I try to actively, I think both me and my husband will, will try to actively do that a few times a month. But at the end of the day, it's still about oranges and like, did she poop? And I'm talking about her daughter. Um, um, I assume. I assume. I have, yeah. Or the dog. My, sec my second question related to this then is, you know, we talked about people who don't necessarily message um, you know, when I've, I, I, I mentioned my husband because, um, when I met my husband, he lived in Boston, I lived in New York. So a lot of our relationship was not in person. It was, mm -hmm. you know, via text. And one yep. thing that we adopted at that time was this amazing app called pair. Um, mm -hmm. since then, you know, there's a lot of new ones like, uh, what is it called? Between, Koya, Gift, Rave, Twig, Lovebox. Like there's all these different apps that know help shorten the distance by creating this like one special world where it's like beyond text messaging it's like tap tap that means i'm thinking about you or like you know sending little doodles um yep. and i'm wondering like does your book or do you address any of like outside of the text message arena but still digital communication so that's really interesting and i i talk about the kinds of ways that we express love digitally, but I don't specifically get into those apps. You know, um, I think that it does tie into this idea of a love language, and you know, what is the frequency that you want to be communicating with your with your with your partner, and um, what do you like to receive from them, and what do you need to receive from them to feel mm -hmm. okay about the status of your relationship? And I, I like the idea of little taps and things like that that people can do that don't take a lot of time but that just says hey i'm thinking about you thinking about you, know? you. smile yeah yeah my right. hu my husband right. he'll he'll do those taps on my phone or some on my excuse me on my apple watch and i'll get those like oh my god that's nice that you're uh, thinking about me that's cool um it's a little heart almost a little heartbeat yeah yeah um okay so you before you mentioned about um vetting out toxic behavior so what should we be looking for for in terms of toxic behavior in texting? Yeah, so with this regard, I, I, do, I do sit on the, the shoulders of, of relationship giants, gurus, you know, people like uh, researcher John Gottman, who's looked at, I mean, John Gottman has a love lab where he can put a couple in a love lab, observe just a few minutes of conversation and predict with wild accuracy whether they're going to get a divorce. Not just whether they're going to get a divorce, but whether they're going to get a divorce in you know, seven years or 20 years. And he can do that kind of at the very beginning of their relationship, just looking at a couple minutes of conversation. And uh, what is he looking for? Well, he's looking for what he calls the four horsemen of the apocalypse. And we can see these things over text message too. Things like criticism, contempt. You know, if somebody's expressing contempt in, in any form over a text message, that's harsh and toxic and not likely to lead to good feelings or good good communication down the road. I think stonewalling where you know you pretend you didn't hear a person like mm -hmm. not responding even if they're really reaching out with um, emotional vulnerability that in itself is a passive way to be toxic and then um, being defensive so if somebody brings something up kind of assuming the worst assuming they're criticizing you that's another technique that I think is one to be avoided. 
What I do encourage people to do is to think about how to establish trust, empathy, you know, understanding, giving somebody the benefit of the doubt. And I give examples of that in text messages. And these are like real conversations between real couples it, you know, at intense moments in their relationship. And we get to look at the text messages and see how they're responding, what's working, what's not working. Um, texting has the advantage and disadvantage of being asynchronous, right? So you have time to think about what you're going to say when you're in a heated argument with your, with your boyfriend or girlfriend or, or, or spouse, you, um, you might, you might just respond without thinking over text. You have this moment to pause and say, all right, what am I going to say? How is this going to sound when they read it in their head and to be a little bit more thoughtful and with that comes an opportunity to actually communicate in a more sophisticated way. Wow, Mimi. Um, how can, um, how can now, like, you know, we're talking about what we're looking for in other people. How can we be better communicators via text? Other than, I mean, you just gave a really great tip of like thinking, you know, pause, think about how they're going to read this. But, you know, if we want to show, for instance, hey, I'm looking, like, I, here's one of the, I think the biggest thing, right? I think there are people out there who are like, I really want to be in a serious relationship. I don't want to waste my time going out with someone who's not interested in a serious relationship. How can I communicate without sending desperate? I'm interested in my next relationship, my next serious relationship going towards marriage. So a, a, a couple of suggestions. If you have the stomach for it, it really can be useful to go back and look at previous text exchange you've had with excess, you know, and to see what you did, what worked, what didn't work, where did you make a mistake? That can be really painful. So I don't suggest people do that right after a breakup, but I give them the tools to go back and look and see, all right, where might you have um, introduced some toxic techniques in your text? Where might you have not been present or not been um, tuned into what the other person needs? And I think going back and looking at those text exchanges can be helpful. Uh, early on, you know, um, what we want to do is, is really give the person time to open up in a genuine way. And, um, and that means, uh, listening and it means listening carefully and, um, really paying attention to what they're saying, reading between the lines, so to speak. It also means writing a message back, not abruptly, like you said, but really reading it out loud and saying, what does this sound like? You know, and, and, and I understand that we think of texting as a very fast and fast and furious kind of communication. And it can be really fun to, to just type out really funny messages um, in a quick way. But I think if you're having a serious discussion over text, if you're talking about something that might touch on people's feelings, it's worth putting a little bit more care into it. And I do give people techniques right down to which emojis are you using? What kind of punctuation you're using that might help make the difference? Wow, that's that's insane. Um, one last question, maybe. I know this is a very controversial opinion in the dating world. I'd love to know your take on should women send the thank you text after dates if they want to, not that they necessarily have to, but let's say you know you had a great time, you want to just say thank you again, and you know hopefully that might lead to a second date, but. Absolutely. I mean, this notion of rules about when to respond and, and you know, what you should respond, I, I don't really believe in this notion of rules. I think the best thing you can do is, like you said, be respectful, but also be genuine. You know, be yourself. If you're, if you're going to be with this person, 
they're going to get to know you eventually. And so I think be yourself. If you felt good about the meeting and you want to say thank you, say thank you. It shouldn't be a game. Um, oh, the validation I feel right now. <laughs> I've been saying that and like, people are like, no, he should, then it comes off as desperate. And I'm like, no, it doesn't. If a guy likes you, he's going to think, wow, that's really sweet. And if he doesn't absolutely. like you, he's just going to ignore it. Like, wow, what a great way to vet someone as quickly as possible. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Um, maybe I think this is such a great place to end because your book is now going to be the standard in the dating toolkit right next to the book attached is going to be speaking in thumbs by Mimi Winsberg. Check it out. I have the link to purchase in the episode show notes. Um, Mimi, I just, before you leave, I would just learn any last takeaways and you know, when you were writing this book that you'd like to share with my listeners. Well, I, I would just say that um, there's so much to learn from looking back at our own form of communication and take that forward, you know, feel empowered to communicate the way that you want to so that you don't have anxiety in this process. And uh, yeah, read the book before you even think about swiping right again, you know? I love that. Oh my God. Yes. Read the book before. Oh, that's totally true. Like I, 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 yeah, I am so excited to just... Tell every single person to like read this book, buy this book, read this book, then tell all of your friends to buy this book and read this book because like I said, it's going to be in the dating toolkit right next to attached. You have to learn how to text and figure out because that's how, like you said, that's how we started this episode off. Like this is, this is how people communicate now. They've been communicating this way, but I think we're doing it wrong. I think we're putting in like all these meanings and emotions to things that, you know, might not necessarily be true and then of course we're, we're wearing those rosy colored glasses so we're completely missing out on the pink flags and I believe that your book decodes that and so I'm so grateful for you to be here today and thank you so much for sharing your knowledge on speaking in thumbs thanks so much for having me pleasure to be here and thank you for listening to ask a matchmaker as I mentioned previously I will have the link to purchase her book in the show notes so go check out the show notes and purchase speaking in thumbs by mimi winsberg if you'd like to speak to me in an upcoming hotline episode follow me on instagram at matchmaker maria i'll post a link on wednesdays and we'll chat then until then you can learn more about what i do or enroll in upcoming agape intensive by visiting agapematch.com services thank you again for listening to ask the matchmaker be lovable and more importantly be likable see you next week